Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I'm Lee Carlo, here with Jeremy Fisk and Chapin Hemingway, making faces at me on the video Skype. Can't tell you guys how much I enjoy being able to see these guys' faces amidst a dreary time. Cheers me up just looking at, well, right now, at least, at least Chapin. Jeremy just depresses me. I can't even look at myself in the mirror. <laughs> but listen, we are here to try to take your minds off of everything that's going on. I have to say, I don't know if this is the case for you guys, boys, but this watching so some movies. fucking distracting. Look at you guys. <laughs> I have to say, watching some movies has been um, sort of cathartic for me. It's been some nice escapism. So hopefully. Can we talk a little bit right now about what we've been watching just to you know yeah i just stepped right on my fucking intro you know just because you're having a bad day jeremy doesn't mean oh, you i'm having a bad day all of new england is having a bad day tom fucking true. brady left the patriots do you want to just talk about this for a i think we should probably bit. spend the next hour about that uh we watched whiplash this week this is a movie that i have seen but jeremy and chapin had to just effing watch so it's sort of like a amended version of that segment that we do uh it's damien chazelle's debut film Uh, We may talk a little bit about Giselle as a director himself and his three feature films. Uh, Chapin's got a little uh, topic he'd like to discuss if we've got time. And um, just in case you guys feel like this podcast is a little bit too distracting, Jeremy's going to dive right back into the fallout of coronavirus and talk a little bit about the, um, the movie industry and how it's being affected for the people working in it. That's if we don't lose him between now and then. We're going to top everything off with our top five musical performers in movies. This place is nice. I really like the music that they play. Bob Ellis on the drums. <laughs> I'm part of Schaefer's top jazz orchestra. It's the best music school in the country. The key is to just relax. Don't worry about the numbers. Don't worry about what the other guys are thinking. You're here for a reason. Have fun. Five, six, and... I want to be great. And you're not. You got Buddy Rich here. Little trouble there. You're rushing. Here we go. Five, six, and... Were you rushing or were you dragging? I, I don't know. If you deliberately sabotage my band, I will gut you like a pig. Oh, my dear God. Are you one of those single-tier people? You are a worthless pansy ass who is now weeping and slobbering all over my drum set like a nine-year-old girl. All right. So, guys, as I mentioned in my intro, I have seen Whiplash before. Uh, You guys had not seen it before. Uh, So, as a result of this sort of um, different edition of Just Effing Watch It, I'm going to break another one of our cardinal rules, and I'm going to reveal my opinion of the movie a little early, or at least part of it, um, because my question for you guys will ultimately reveal it anyway. So I really liked this movie when I first saw it. Um, I was really impressed with what Damien Chazelle did. I was excited about his career moving forward, and we'll get more into that later. And then on my rewatch this time, I probably enjoyed it even more than the first time. So I was excited about that. But there is an issue that I have with this movie, and I think that it can be broadened across movies in general. Um, But I'll key in on this, and if you guys want to talk about some other movies as examples, that would be fine. But I'm wondering if in some way a movie's story can get in the way of some of the things that it's 
doing so well? It's sort of the opposite question I asked on the Star is Born podcast last year, Jeremy, uh, or I guess almost two years, well, not almost two years ago, but for the 2018. Um, Jeremy, you weren't on that podcast, but I talked about how something about a movie like a song or cinematography or performance can give a movie almost a false credit. People think more highly of the movie because they liked that one aspect. So I'm sort of asking the opposite. Can you be so enamored with an aspect of a movie that that's all you want to see? And then every time it goes to anything else, even if that may be the story, you find that a distraction and it's getting in the way of the positives too much. And then the second part of the question is just how do you evaluate a movie as a whole? Well, after if that, if we're cutting to the chase, can you just reveal to us what your yeah? yeah what, I, what, I what, never were you wanted, enamored by. I never wanted the to leave. Part. I never wanted to leave the conservatory, and I never wanted to stop watching the back and forth between uh, Andrew, played by Miles Teller, and and um, and Fletcher, played by J.K. Simmons. And it he was won, just, he won the Oscar for this. Is that he correct? did? Yeah, correct. He won yes. for Best Supporting Actor. The two of them were so dynamic. And it's all I wanted to watch. And the story, I think, got in the way. Every time you left, you know, the conservatory, the scenes at the dinner table, even the scene. (laughs) Uh, Jeremy's got his Bane mask on for those of of you who are watching on the live stream. Now, Bane, he's he's safe during all this. Yep. Um, Yeah, anytime you went, you know, you went to the dinner scene with with Andrew's family, uh, even while I liked some of it, the, the relationship with his on again off again girlfriend just felt like noise to me mm. um i think that's and this a, can happen a, with cinematography like think about sure like a great sure, movie, sure you know so I th- it can happen with a lot of things so I feel think free it, to broaden I, this. I think it can also happen conceptually too it's like you you know we're talking about damien Chaz- chazelle and i really loved what he, uh he did on um First Man, which I know, Lee, you have new thoughts on, um, which I think we'll probably get to when we talk about him. But that concept of, you know, showing sort of the gritty side of of the Apollo program. And, and, you know, like that isn't to say that that doesn't work all the time. But, um, you know, like you could argue, well, you you go away from that a little bit with the family um, and. Uh, but, but I'm just saying in general, like conceptually, there are things directors do choices they make that really have interesting impacts. And I think Chazelle demonstrates that to some degree in a minor way in this film. Um, and I, I, I agree with you. I think, uh, a movie can't be wholly interesting. I mean, it can't grab you and be a hundred percent what you want it to be minute by minute, you know, otherwise those great moments wouldn't shine. You wouldn't know they were great. If it were a dialogue between those two characters, which, you know, as you, you sent us the short version um, that they made for Sundance to finance the film. Um, I think that's what it was, right? It was just a scene mm-hmm. between them. If it was all that, you know, you, you would be, you wouldn't be left wanting more. And so um, using that stuff sparingly, I think is, important as a director and understanding, I guess what you have, um, what that's good to sort of not necessarily focus on it too much, but, but, but really to sort of realize that, you know, you want to be careful with how much you spread that around your film. Uh, all right. I can answer this kind of in three ways. The first way is if done well, 
it's important. Like those other relationships and how that character relates outside of the world in which he's a uh, professional is important to tell the story if done well. But to your point, Lee, I don't think like I remember like that, that family scene where they're all sitting around the table was so cliche mm-hmm. And it was like, there's the sports jocks, and they were like, oh, and then the dads mm. were like, that's important. And then it was just like, really? Like, in the middle of this movie, this is happening? I don't under, right. I, I didn't understand that. It took me totally out of the movie. I thought it was ultimately really, really cliche. Um, <clears throat> so I think it's, re- I think if it was done well, then yes, that's important. Because ultimately, I think this movie is, exploring the question of like what greatness takes Mm. and to to really explore that question you have to delve into the person the person's family life their life outside of whatever that artistic which is why um, i I endeavor that scene i like that dinner scene Okay, well, we'll get back to that. But whatever that, whatever the artistic endeavor is to ex- really explore greatness, and we can get into this a little bit more, you have to talk about those sort of things. I don't think those scenes worked, unlike you, Chapin. I, I think they could have been done better, but they're there for that reason. And I think that part of it is important. Well, you guys agree on one thing. It's that, and I agree too, that it's, the 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 placement of those scenes, the fact that they are there, are essential to everything else that's happening in the movie. Whether that's because whether that's for you know uh, developmental character developmental reasons, or whether that's honestly for no other reason than to just be able to say the scenes other than that were better to give you a, a barometer of you know what's good and what's I bad. I don't think in the they're film. direct. I don't think he's well, making the direct, this of course movie the director, to no, be like, the director's oh. never thinking that, but Chapin makes a good point. There's going to be le- there's going to be lesser scenes in every movie. So you know, one suggesting like I did that they are in the way maybe isn't fair. The other the other aspect of this movie, the other reason I ask this question about the the story itself getting in the way is because of where this story goes which is to this finale, this, this standoff between uh, Fletcher and Andrew. And I, I found that to be almost a little bit too, of, too much of like a, a narrative peak that this movie didn't need. I mean, it's, it's sort of a back and forth. And like now, now the story's having an arc. It, it, I felt like Chazelle felt a need to resolve mm. this and to have an ending. And, and he has the same problem in... La La Land, and I think he even has a little bit of the same issue, and I might be alone with this, with with Apollo, uh, with First Man, that he just feels a need to to complete the story. And I don't think this movie has a beginning, middle, and end. I mean, it sort of just picks up. There's no real beginning. And oh, I, by the way, I'll just say, right, I love the the way this movie ends. I you think do. this movie has an ending. That's I, it does. I don't love it. Satisfactory. I like the ending in the, in the context of the structure of it. But I'm with you. I think I am particularly interested, Jeremy, in what you were saying about how this movie is about greatness. What greatness takes. You know, there's that short scene between take staying with the same team your whole career is really what it takes. Sorry, exactly. Retiring that what, that's with what that Jeremy same was talking team. about. Yeah. 
I don't. Well, what if we don't really know what's go, what's happening behind the scenes? You know, he's gonna go to Tampa Bay. Look, I think um, what what I'm saying is there's that scene between Fletcher and Miles Teller where he talks to him about you know no one. What's the famous line? He says something like you know the 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 worst. The worst the, thing you can say is "good job." Good job. The most and, dangerous words in the English language. And I, I, to me, I, you know, I knew that line going, you know, before I'd seen the movie, and I was, I'm very interested in that. I, I, I love that concept. I think that that's such a something so cinematic, and not even even beyond that. Like it's such a rich territory for storytelling. This idea of, you know, the hero wrestling with greatness and what it takes, and it delves into sort of generational differences between us and. Um, people who are older than us and the people who have taught us. Um, but honestly, like the structure, Jeremy, to go back to the stuff that you love of this film, I don't think got that. It got in the way of telling that story for me. It was there are these just m- these moments where the film was almost melodramatic. It just got to a point where I, 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 I was sort of. Well, that was my issue with the end. Is it felt me- well that border- yeah, borderline think, melodramatic, right? And I think so. What I guess I was saying in the context of that melodrama, I did appreciate the ending. I appreciated that it wasn't like a, it wasn't. You know, I was expecting Miles Teller to kind of get over on on um, on Fletcher's, uh, you know, embarrass him, but he didn't. He they, it was a there was a weird rapport they developed, which I think ultimately in that structure and in the, the interest that I found in the film, I, I found that to be sort of over the top and ridiculous, but within the film, I liked it. I think it was a, a nice way to end it. Yeah. I, so I liked watching it. I found that scene to be, again, like much of the scenes with them to be dynamic and the back and forth and the, at, at first Fletcher uh, getting over on, on Andrew and then back the other way. And then it's sort of, evolves into them sort of working together. I thought that as a scene was great. I just didn't like it kind of in the structure of the of the narrative because you guys have both said it. I, I mean, and I, we all agree, this movie is about the psychology of these characters, both in what Andrew believes uh, he needs to do to be great and what Fletcher believes he needs to do to make people great. And that that's fascinating stuff. And I think it's also hard to capture cinematically. And Damon Chazelle does it a number of different ways. The performances have to be credited, and we'll get to that. Sure. But let's talk a little bit about um, Chazelle's direction. I mean, his cam- this is a debut director. I have to say, this has to be one of my favorite directorial debuts. Wow. I mean, his his camera work, his color palette, his his the way he just captures these these musical numbers you know whether it's quick cuts whether uh, in in beat with the with the song that's being played or whether it's you know big sweeping camera moves mm. I, I just think it's masterful masterful work and i have to credit him so much for taking something that's not immediately cinematic and making it very cinematic well I, to go back uh, well, there's a lot there to unpack, Lee. Um, to go back to the psychology aspect of it, I like that Chazelle never really chooses. He gives you both sides of the argument. Um, really? I think so. I think he leans one way. I think he leans towards Miles Teller's character. But at the end, it's really all about like 
the greatness. It's all about achieving they that. Both want and the they same both thing. have the same goal there. And I don't I think guess. he I don't think he necessarily says that you can not go about it this way. Because ultimately that's where he he was able he was able to achieve that because of that. I I, I, I think it can be subjective on how you feel about where Chazelle sides with these characters because it has a lot about how it has a lot to do with how you interpret some of the lines of dialogue. Um, and Chapin, you mentioned the the line where he says, "There's nothing more dangerous than the words good job." But more importantly, what a, a scene that I think is open to interpretation, and I'll tell you how I took it was the scene where uh, Fletcher comes in and he's upset. One of his former students has died. He was a uh, an excellent musician, yes. but he struggled. You didn't like what, this scene. Wait, what? What's that mean, Chapin? Yeah, but then, which was meaningful, he cried, you saw some depth to his character, and then you realize this is the guy he, like, tortured to death, essentially. Okay. but that's the point, and this is good, because this, I think you interpreted this different than me, and maybe this is because I've just, like, I don't know, I, I have no one person or one instance in particular, but I feel like I've seen a version of this from people before, where he tells his class, like, this, this, this excellent this excellent student that worked really hard but struggled and I helped him and I pushed him and he got to the highest point in his career but then he died in a car accident which turns out to not be true which I think was a mistake to say see, I think he should have said he committed suicide no see the reason he said that he died in a car accident is because he believe he does not believe that even if it was suicide that it had anything to do with well, what he did as a teacher. Well, then why would you not just say suicide? Because, because it had believes, nothing to do with it. Because him. he believes that immediately, if it's suicide and people who know his teaching methods, they're going to associate. That. I don't think. And, I don't and, think. And, and that's he doesn't believe true. he's doing anything wrong. I think that's all part of the psychology. I just think that, and, and you guys interpreted this differently, but that's immediately what I took from this. And no. I think it's. I think, I think it's he. Smart. Uh, no, I think he did interpret. I, I think the character did interpret it that way. Like, oh, I don't want to be to blame for it. But I think that character realistically would have never thought of himself as the reason for that. Okay. Yeah, but he's not I, stupid. He knows that other people would. Anyway. All right. Yeah, so, ahead, guys, Jay. I just have to say, like, I don't, I never got the impression, with the exception of that line that we just talked about, that Fletcher was interested at all. In pushing these kids to achieve their own greatness, I never. I found that character to what be about, very he was talking, duplicitous he, and one-dimensional. Um, I enjoyed his performance. I thought that it was a sort of energetic and kind of, um, you know, scene chewing in a sort of good way uh, performance. But honestly, I did not think that that character. I didn't. I never understood the motivations of that character. I never got you the really, sense. Really, even at the end, Chapin, like because there was that co- the conversation that they had, even though he was duping him because they sat down for drinks and then he had the conversation and then he said, "I never had a so and so." I don't remember who the artist is that he referenced, right, but he's like, "I right. never had one of those." Right. And obviously, Miles Teller was like, "I want to be that person." So, at the end, when he when they have that, they lock eyes and they are on the same page. Do you think he's realizing he finally has one? I, I think so. I th- I think so. But the See, that's whole my point. Movie, that didn't the, matter to me at that point. The, the movie uh, sort of pornographic fetishizes the the abuse that Fletcher gives to his so. students. I, th- I, I think, think they it, love that. He like that. The, so much of the running time of that film is. Fletcher abusing Miles Teller's character 
And you watch that, and I guess in retrospect, you understand maybe that I, it's about pushing these people to achieve their best, but I don't I, I don't know. I know I, mean, I just, said like, I know like, I said that the director wasn't like choosing, but I do think it's negative it, the whole movie in general is negative towards that aspect of it. I don't think it's fetishizing it. I don't I don't I, think you're giving his character enough credit. I mean I, I would go even so far as to say that there's things off the page about Fletcher's character that maybe he's gotten lost along the way where it began as one thing and it's evolved in or devolved into something else and that's and, and maybe he's not even really sure what his end goal is with his methods but I, I think that's all there uh, and uh, the performance has to be credited but I think that there's a lot to study about that character and like I said I think there are people like that that will that are so convinced that what they're doing is is right or the right way that you just you you can't accept any other idea and that's where that line that's why I, I think he would lie about how that character died because he knows that uh, everybody else would feel differently all right Chapin, not, have not it quite out. Just not say, quite yet not it. quite your tempo Chapin. that's it's not my tempo it's not my tempo um no I look look I, I when I walked away uh, I, I have to admit I I I, I started to watch this with with Katie, uh, who um, you know w- was a Division One athlete and has experienced you know people like this in her her past. Coaches who push you to be the best you can and and use sort of different methods. And she had to turn it off. And I think she found it very abusive and very um, you know I don't know. Which it was. I don't. Chapin, Chapin's wrong. like I'm watching that. Turn yeah, it back on. Yeah. <laughs> It's for the podcast. So, so we had to stop. So we stopped, and and I watched. So I watched it in in pieces, which I hate doing, especially when we're we're doing it on the podcast. And there's, I mean, there's, you know, I don't know if you guys know about there's a there's a virus going around, and so I was a little distracted by that. Um, oh, Jabin. And so, uh, too soon. You know, I guess, I guess, but I left. I finished the film, and I felt this tension between you know how much i liked it how much i sort of enjoyed watching it and i liked parts of it and just the overall absurdity of the film and you know we often talk about how a film is greater than the sum of its parts this film for me was the opposite it was sort of i, I love the pieces of it i love the i love i love getting a view of this world and i love chazelle's approach to this world of, of the jazz band and, and what it's like. I mean, I assume this is based on Berkeley, right? Where, which we all had some experience with because, yeah. you know, which is in Boston, one of the greatest. Yeah. Um, we live near it. Well, and well, also there, there was a couple <laughs> shots where they just, you know, showed the sidewalk with a bunch of kids with their instruments. And yeah. I just couldn't help but think of Berkeley. Right. Um, and so I, I love the way he approached that. And he didn't tell you things like he didn't give you uh he didn't he respected the audience intelligence he didn't give you like a summary of what it's like to go to music school it was just you know he just threw you into that world which i love i love it when you do that it's the best way to learn i I loved his direction i I agree with you lee i think he brought energy to i mean who even knew jazz could be this interesting i think he brought an energy to that i love the performances but ultimately at the end i didn't think the film said what it wanted to say. And also I, I wasn't crazy about what it was saying. Um, and, and I think that was difficult for me to appreciate because this film has gotten so much, 
attention and it was nominated for best picture it won an academy award for best supporting actor chazelle has gone on to big things um and i, I was i sort of left being like you know i don't i don't know that that film was entirely successful because i don't think it it was i don't think it what it was saying i i didn't appreciate so I, di- I I disagree because I think where it went and what it ultimately said is what I liked about it. I liked I liked that it didn't decide what is the pursuit like what's what's the best way to pursue greatness. It never decided that. It just showed these two sides of it. One where somebody's working really hard uh, and trying their best and may not have the skills at that point but they're trying to get there and then the other side of it is somebody that is brutal and and absolutely over the top and berating but also trying to get to the same place and i don't think the the film uh, okay's that but i i think it shows it so it's got those two sides those are the two sides of it and then ultimately at the end they find a way once greatness hits they find a way to see eye to eye and i think that is what was so amazing about the film but is that greatness i mean he he stages this uh, seemingly i mean i i i wasn't quite, i mean then you're I, getting into some, you're getting into the semantics of the just forget how he got there and then there was just that scene where he is playing great and then there is the other guy on the other side who's been a total asshole this time but also recognizes yeah it. i see i thought he was dragging a little at the end in that drum solo so it just you know work. you make a good point let's end yeah. the podcast um chapin I, I really loved your summary because i think it answered my opening question that in the story can in fact get in the way and I, and I'm I'm with you as much as I love this movie Wait it's a that second. I, I love the pieces it, but the story the arc the 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 structure aren't the best parts of this movie doesn't mean you're wrong Jeremy oh, I agree with a lot of what you just said Chapin, you also brought up something that I think will lead us nicely into Chazelle but very quickly before we get to that what do you guys Giselle, think of Miles Teller sounds like in this movie? Giselle I I, li- I liked him I thought uh, I I thought his character was weird and I bet like if you were a Last seasoned film watcher than us, you would think he might he might even be a bad actor, um, but he was just weird. You know, he was just like a, an eccentric He's kind of a nerd, yeah, an eccentric kid. And I think we all kind of, you know, if you go to like a liberal arts, especially a school that like you and I went to, Jeremy with Emerson, which of course shared oh, geographical uh, yeah. r- relation to to Berkeley, the school this place was based on. Like there are kids like this who just who seemingly have no social skills and um, not, not you guys yeah we have social skills that's why we do a podcast that you know tens of people listen to okay <laughs> yeah uh, tens oh my god that many yeah well you know after six five or six months yeah um and uh, so I, I i liked him i mean uh, you know i I wish that character was a little more developed. You know, he is the main guy and it's hard. Like it's hard to, it's hard to have a protagonist who is unapproachable, but that's who, that's what he is. He's a guy who is, you know, having trouble relating to his fellow students, to women, to his teacher, to his father, to some extent. I did kind of like that scene. Um, the reason I liked that scene, Jeremy, or the pieces that I liked the scene at the dinner table is he says, I'd rather be, 
dead at 35 and have people talk about me at a like that's the that's the that's the moment you see the most of that character is when he tells right, but you who so he that wants whole to be. scene is not great the like what he says is important to developing his character but that whole scene is just kind of clunky well the he, way it's done sure what i what i liked about his character is is that yes he was awkward and he's like he's like he comes across as the guy who is not supposed to be great at anything he's not supposed he's just supposed to be the average guy but he just ignores that part of him mm. and strives but, for greatness why do you say that what what why do you say that why do I say what? That he's supposed to be the average yeah. guy? Why, 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 because the way he relates to everybody else in his life, he's not... But I mean, he, I, Like, I, the way he has to tell his girlfriend that he's not going to do date her because he wants to be a great musician, nothing about that... If you just take that in isolation, nothing about that scene screams, oh yeah, that guy, he's going to be a great musician. It's because he's... He's just an awkward sort of individual, but he he's genuine about trying right. to do that, but and I, I like that. No, no, but I, I but I think that that makes him. I think the average guy would date the girl. The average guy would know how to talk to people, would know how but to I relate think to that's, people. He doesn't. No, that's what I'm. That's what I mean. Yeah, right. He doesn't, I, and I think that that's what makes him different. He's got a drive um, that most people don't have. He's got a focus that most people don't have. I mean. Like it's no, he definitely does. But I mean, I we think we all wanted to be directors it. when we were in school. But that you know, with with directing comes fame, fortune, and women. And I mean, being a jazz. No time for the wife and family, so that I just passed. Exactly. So yeah. drumming for as a jazz, being a jazz Keep drummer that shape. is 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 not a profession that is particularly um, lucrative. It's not. It's not a. It's not something that like I think comes um with a lot of fanfare and so doesn't come with a lot of fanfare we gotta stop doing these video things did anybody guys. else just... notice that the line that he says at the beginning to the guy doesn't make sense where he says that's not your that's not your boyfriend's dick don't come early yeah that's a so he's blowing on a like a trumpet <laughs> so he's the yeah. one blowing on his quote-unquote boyfriend's yeah. dick according to fletcher don't come early so like it's just it doesn't make sense I mean, he's just so excited Sexually. to be doing it. He's so it. excited that he's just, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you, what, did that, did that scene, the, break, the breakup <laughs> scene uh, between um, uh, Miles Teller and Supergirl there uh, remind you guys of the opening of Social Network? Yeah, is that Supergirl? There Super was a Girl? bunch of Social is? Network in this yeah. to me. Um, all right, let's move on. So uh, Damien Chazelle took his success from Whiplash and, moved on to bigger and better things that is La La Land. Now, have you guys seen La La Land recently? I I watched most of it today. Okay, yeah, I caught up with it too. Chapin, I know you had no interest in that. I, I, you know, to be, fan, to, be, to be completely honest, I wanted to, but I, I, I believe that was one of those movies I didn't, I specifically chose not to see. Then I decided to watch it on a plane, took a bunch of sleeping aids, Fell asleep, then watched it again, and then watched it. You know, so it. It. I think I've seen it all, but it, it's not really put together okay. in my mind. Look, La La Land is a good movie, but it is sort of whiplash light. Um, a lot of the things that Chazelle did well, he did again in La La Land. I did but not like it's La sort La of, Land. This it's time sort of whiplash light. It just. It's about pursuing dreams and 
then facing rejection and then quitting and then trying again. And where well, Whiplash it's about is Hollywood. Well, yeah, but forget about that aspect of it. Where Whiplash is unapologetic, this movie and Shape and This is what you brought up about Whiplash doing well. La La Land instead caters to its audience and it tells us that jazz is great instead of us watching this movie Whiplash and being like, God, jazz is exciting. And it just does all these things to a lesser degree of success and didn't make the movie bad, just made it not really all that good. But all the directing attributes that I liked about Chazelle are still present in La La Land, which I like. And then you move on to First First Man. Man which I think is a drastically different movie. So his career well, yeah, as a whole, what lo- do you guys think? I'll let you guys talk about First Man because I haven't seen it, but oh. La La Land this time around was so disappointing. I just, I was not, after, after seeing Whiplash, I saw all the same tropes that he did in that yeah. that I really enjoyed, and it just didn't work in, the, in, in La La Land for me. Um, I just, didn't care about Ryan Gosling trying to tell me that jazz is important and trying to sing to me in their relationship. Like, none of the important beats worked for me in that. Um, so, yeah, that's yeah, my two it's cents not a very on interesting, that. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a well-made romantic comedy, to be honest with you. It's, it follows all of the, uh, the, the formula beats of a romantic comedy, and that's really all that it is. And, I, we're, I don't want to talk too much about that movie in particular because I want to focus on Chazelle, but because you said it too, the color palette, the camera work, the the direction of his actors, I think are are consistent with the things he did in Whiplash. I don't know that they got better, but you saw the same director for sure. And First mm-hmm. Man, it was different. I think First Man, while very well directed. That film has grown on me. I still have some of the similar problems that I did the first time, but I think it's it's a it's a step in a different direction for him, which is good to see him branch out. But I'm I'm curious, Chapin, you know, especially just since you've seen Whiplash more recently, Whiplash versus First Man, you know, how do you equate those two? It's a great question. Before I get into that, I, I'd love to know why, Jeremy. It was so mm-hmm. disappointing for you this time around, La La Land. I mean, other than what I just said, I mean, I, I, I basically I didn't believe the love story. Um, I, I really actually didn't enjoy Ryan Gosling in it. Um, I thought it was sort of a circle jerk to Hollywood. Like none of those references seem cute or, um important to me at this point uh i i just none of that worked for me so i think that's the that's the essential part of that movie Hmm. okay um yeah i think we to your question um you know what i to your opening when i i really like the concept of a first man i like the idea of sort of stripping away all the Hollywoodness, all the polish. You know, you talked about, we all love Apollo 13. That is a fantastic movie, but it does have that sort of Ron Howard polish to it. It's not necessarily, I don't think it gets in the way really. If anything, it might even enhance it. Um, The way he films that movie is amazing, but um, it's just another perspective to look at 
the Apollo program that way, to look at space, the development of the space program that way, to look at the gritty side of it, to look at it on a kind of a, with a, you know, without the sort of uh, traditional way we view things in a, in a Hollywood film, um, which I thought was like kind of the opposite of like, say a film like La La Land or a film like Whip, Whiplash, which is sort of taking something rather mundane and making it more exciting and making it, um, making it more approachable. I mean, I'm looking at the gross of, of La La Land and it's, you know, $450 million. I mean, that's probably more money than jazz has made, you know, ever. Uh, you know, in other words, like I, th- th- he made something that's, that's fairly esoteric at this point, very approachable and interesting to a, a large swath of people. Um, and I think he was kind of doing the opposite with, with first man. He was like taking us closer making us feel what it was like to really be there. Um, and it, you know, that movie was not very successful in a lot of people's eyes. And I don't, you know, he, it sounds like he's going back the other way. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I don't really know what to say about that. I, I, I tend to like when movies do that. I tend to like getting a more sort of, I guess it would be subjective look at things. Um, I, I, I hate musicals because they take you, they take something real or, um, they take something kind of authentic and they make it, they make it, um, much more Hollywood and artificial, which a lot of people love. Well, yeah, that, that part didn't bother me about La La Land. Oh, see, that is, that's the biggest problem with La La Land is that when a musical is done well, the, the musical numbers flow into the movie they, they oh, all felt I out agree. of place I, in La La i'm La just La. saying i i wasn't annoyed that it was a musical. oh yeah me either i think just... i think that it didn't work that way but i'm not like i don't i'm not against it being a musical oh, right yeah, i just don't so chapin let me ask you this because the uh, one issue i had with first man the first time around and i and i still had it again here and this is my tie into the other two movies that that chazelle does is is the moon landing in first man it feels like that, you know, n- completion of the narrative that was almost out of place in First Man. Because what you're saying is true, that that movie kind of strips down the Apollo program and doesn't doesn't glamorize it. It shows you kind of the nitty gritty and the, right. the, the close ups and the numbers and the, you know, the even the launches are are very much about through Gosling's eyes looking at what he can see in that small little cockpit. And then you get a, a pretty long scene of them landing on the moon, a very climactic scene that seemed like, okay, here, the, the end of the movie is coming, the thing you've all been waiting for, just like the standoff at the end of Whiplash, just like uh, the uh, uh, Emma Stone getting uh, getting her big job or Ryan Gosling opening his jazz club at the end of La La Land. There's always yeah. that finale that he seems intent on having, even if it doesn't fit in his movie. Um, do you mean the, the moon landing or, or the, the scene? Moon, it, the moon landing is the one I, I'm talking about for first man. I know there's some scenes following that, but. Well, you can't not have the moon landing. That's what it's about. <laughs> yeah. Is there it? It's a, well, it is a little bit, but it's about Neil Armstrong. It is about Neil Armstrong. And look, I, I think, I mean, t- to sort of piggyback on my last point, I mean, Neil, you know, Ar- that movie is just, 
first name basis. Neil, yeah, he knows. No, Neil, I said, I said, Neil, Neil and I have talked about this. Neil and I, Neil, you know, knowing Neil personally, he's just, I mean, he is kind of a cold character. I mean, that's his, the whole, the whole point of him. He's kind of reserved and he's a it's introvert. like negative degrees in the space. Yeah. <sighs> We're getting nowhere. This is terrible. No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Lee. I, I, I don't mind the endings. I mean, you know, we could very well sit here and say, boy, I wish there was a more satisfying ending. I think what I've, I mean, I, you know, when I used to write screenplays, the, the ambiguous ending was used to be like the go-to film school uh, bullshit we, ending. We love and it that was, shit. Yeah. Yeah. You, you love that shit. And like, you know, I think it takes a certain amount of decisiveness to, to make an ending that that's meaningful. And I think, I, I, you know, my problems with which whiplash I, uh, are not withstanding the ending. They're, they, they don't. I mean, the ending didn't help, but it. I understand the why, why so he ended it that way. What like what don't you think works about that ending in Whiplash? Because it's to me, it is decisive. He, I just in a smart look, way. Look, look, this is a story about you know this this is small little movie about this relationship. And this guy wants to torpedo his career by totally fucking over Miles Teller in front of all these people. Oh, so that's the part you don't like, is that the fact that he put him on stage when he doesn't know. That's not it for me. That movie didn't need a resolution to me. That was the issue for me. Like, I don't need the arc in this movie. I don't need a beginning, middle, and end in that movie. I I love that there was that moment between those two. Okay, I did too. I liked that scene. On a scene-by-scene basis, I liked that scene. How they got there could have been different. Like, I understand what you're saying, Chapin. It makes no sense. He's going to torpedo his own thing because he's going to put a drummer in that doesn't know the song. A 19-year-old drummer. That makes sense. But I like where they they ended up there. And that's where I think that movie should have ended up. Sure. How, How it got there, I don't, you know, maybe there's a better way. Okay. Yeah. Yes. That's a, that's an excellent way to put it. It's just that, and because of that, I didn't really buy his turn. I didn't buy that. Like suddenly, because I, I assumed that everything he was saying in the bar that led up to this event was bullshit because he was trying to trick him. He was, he was like, Hey, whatever the character's name is, let's, let's have a drink after we had this, you know, fist fight on the, on, at this event, it was, you know, I assumed everything he After was saying you got in a car accident. was a lie about, you know, trying to get him into this, this I get, event. And I so get I, I You're didn't, making a lot of and sense so right then now. he suddenly, once he realizes Miles Teller's got talent, he goes with it. And I got to be honest with you guys, like, I don't think of him. The reason I don't think of him as a, as a good, uh, not a nurturer. He's obviously not a nurturing teacher, but as someone who's trying to get, like, he just switches people out. Like, what was it, the unique thing about that, about the drumming position in that jazz band was that there was three people, you know, sitting around a drum set waiting to be s- switched in. Um, and I don't, I don't know. It, I, that aspect of it, you know, they're setting the tempo for the rest of the group. I understand that. That aspect of it made me believe that he was more interested in the way the group came together. That he wasn't, he didn't care about the pieces. He cared about the band being a collective good and being the one who directs it. And he says differently um, in that bar scene, which is a completely disingenuous scene. And so I didn't buy it. 
Okay. okay that's I, fair. I mean, you, make poke a, some you, hole, make... you poke some holes in the movie. That's fine. I just, yeah. you know, I haven't really liked this movie, but that's fine. Whatever. Sorry, man. No, no. You make a lot of good points there, Chapin. Um, all right. Chapin, you got something to uh, discuss? Well, yeah. I mean, I think uh, <clears throat> so. We were posting on our Instagrams um, about what we're watching um, as we're all a little bit. Our schedules are changed. I'm still going to work, and I know you are a little bit too late. Oh, but, brag, brag! But uh, <laughs> Jeremy, you have been your 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 uh, movie, your Disney movie that you were working on uh, stopped production three days before it was completed, which is amazing if you consider the effort it takes to get a movie going. That's a that's a huge huge step to take. Um, and I mean, it doesn't sound like we're in the midst of this coronavirus. Um, shut down and it doesn't seem like people are going to get to the movies anytime soon. And so a lot of the bond movie was pushed back till November. It sounds like a lot of movies uh, that they put, they moved the uh, fast and furious sequel back a year. Um, I mean, it's unprecedented and um, I I'm a little surprised that I, I guess I have a, I, my question for you guys is, do you think there's I think there's a a, a, a vacuum here where a, a brilliant idea from a studio or a filmmaker will come that will help sort of save the movie business at least from the production side of it? No, you don't know because movies are such a collaborative experience, and that's the the, the one thing you can't take away. It's not going to be one guy in his basement who comes up with the next big brew you know like it's a collaborative experience and you need a lot of people together to make a movie you need hundreds of people no no i I understand that i guess i meant more from like an exhibition standpoint like you know why not find a way to make the release the fast and furious movie but do it in a way do it at home you know do something like that i i i thought about that the other day or yesterday whenever i would i'm wondering and maybe this is in the works i'm wondering why Netflix and Amazon or whoever are t- aren't taking some of that production budget they got and buying or offering to buy some of these studio films from the studios, from the distribution studios. It's possible. To put them on Netflix. I mean, now's as good a time as any to do that. I mean, t- believe me, like I would love some interesting content on Netflix right now. Um, you know, the, of course, there are plenty of movies to, available to stream, but I mean, we're, we're missing how... new movies right now. We're not getting that. And I think that's the way it's going to happen. And when Netflix is, when two weeks in a row now, two weeks running or whatever it is, a week running, Spencer fucking Confidential is the number one movie on Netflix. I'd like more. Great locations. Amazing locations. So guys, I did a little impromptu survey amongst my friends. I don't, people don't really, I don't think people use iTunes and Amazon that often to rent movies. I think that that's not something we're familiar with. I mean, we've talked um, ad nauseum about the the way the 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 business plan the uh, the financial plan has changed the model has changed with streaming you know people the idea is to make as much content as you can keep keep subscribers but people of our generation don't really rent movies anymore it's a weird concept because I mean I remember you know video stores existed just for that purpose people would people would drive themselves to the video store and browse movies and i don't think people rent movies anymore i mean we rent i do feel like this is the time where people are trying to catch up on lists of movies that they haven't seen like important movies i don't think they they are yeah yes and no i but i this is the this is why people aren't renting movies as much it's the same it's the reason 
it takes me so long to decide what movie to watch because I, I search first for a long time what I can watch for free. And then if there's something I have to watch or something that I'm really interested in that I have to rent on Amazon, then I do that. This is what everyone needs to do. This is what everyone needs to do is get a list together. Ask your friends. Listen to the podcast. Yeah. Use get your film fix, have recommendations, write them all down and go through them and check them off because that's what you need to do right now is get through those list of movies that you've never seen because that is important and now is the time to do it. And I also don't think it's going to happen that like uh, studios are just going to give over their content. No, because no, no, no. That's what I'm point, saying is they have to pay for it. Well, yeah, no, of no, course. they're not going to give it over it. even for money. They're not going to buy it. Like at this point, <clears throat> if they can push it, they're going to push it. The stuff that maybe somebody can pick up is the stuff that's already in theaters and nobody's going to see. Like, like first I'd cow. love first some, Netflix first, first cow. First like, Cow, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, something like that. Uh, Disney stream their new Pixar movie with Chris Pratt. I forget what they, the name of they that did is. Move, they did move Frozen to Disney Plus uh, way ahead of schedule. That's one step. Oh, wow. Wow. There you go. So, <laughs> yeah. Got my plan for the night. <clears throat> well, but yeah, your, so but if maybe your kid those was, a, movies, was a year older, Lee, that I, would totally I know. be a big no, thing. No, of course. It makes a big difference. Uh, those movies might be able to be picked up, but the other movies, they're not going to stop their plan. Like NBC is not going to stop their plan of taking their stuff off Netflix and put like all that's still going to continue. Um, well, but maybe wait, but we wait can get the, yeah, I, I, maybe, but also, I mean, let's look at universal. Uh, they probably projected that they were going to be getting, you know, upwards of a billion dollars in the next three months in this quarter. It's not going to happen now. No, I mean they're yeah, going to. They're have... not going to get a billion. But so okay. But that's let's not. Say, but that's is not. That necessi- fast the, but is that Fast and the Furious that produce that releases that? That is that Universal. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, Fast and Furious. So so what is what is the average Fast and the Furious movie make? Like I just said, of upwards of a billion dollars. So uh, oh, so, so sorry, that's that one say, movie. Should say half of that. So they were they were they were probably anticipating revenues of maybe seven hundred million dollars. Okay. So but that's not going to happen. Is, Nothing's going to no, happen. No, it's not. And and of course they have you have to cut your losses. So you nobody's going to offer you 700 million dollars for it, but is <clears throat> is Netflix going to pay 200 million dollars for fast no, to stream a Fast and Furious movie? I'm not like, I'm not saying no that way. I'm not saying that they're going to, but what what I'm saying is that you suddenly start looking at movies from from that perspective. They look at Fast and Furious and they say, "We need to make that particular movie profitable." But yeah. Uh, someone like Netflix, they don't do that. They don't have to do that. That's not their. That's not their point. the The point is to get people subscribed, get people on the monthly payments, and well, that's a different model. And this model, I think, in this extraordinary time, which of course is not going to be. I mean, it's not always going to be this way, but it'll. It's going to be this way for probably six months, or at least, where they're now going to be without revenue. And and I think that they're looking at that from the perspective of Fast and the Furious, not as Universal, you know. Right. Well, I have two. I have two questions to follow up on that, Um, Chapin. So, is is Netflix going to make more money based on this? Do you think there are people out there that are now subscribing that hadn't, or it was Netflix tapped out? Is this going to? 
I think there's definitely they're definitely getting more subscribers. I think so too. I mean, I I people are definitely gonna. Yeah, I mean that's the interesting point is that like if we all if we all subscribe to Netflix and start watching it tomorrow, they don't make any more money. But yeah, I mean, I think inevitably more people are going to sign up. More people are going to Well, gonna they make more it. money if somebody signs up. They do, but not if well, we yes. watch it more. Well, and, right. But the thing is, you have to, like, people are, who don't have it are going to subscribe to it. The people that share it with, like, families are all going to be watching it at the same time and not going to be able to. So one of them's going right. to say, hey, we got to get our own accounts now. Fuck so it, you're getting yeah. all, all these all these accounts. They're They're going to do... A lot, and, and Apple TV Plus is is going to back their way Benefit. into a bunch of uh, subscribers, even though they've made no real effort, and Disney Plus and all of those. I mean, I think it's nothing I, but good news for Netflix. And my, my nothing second but good news right now for Netflix. Yeah, and my second question, and this pertains to sort of my situation, and I can talk more about it, but is there going to be a vacuum of product in a year, year and a half. Because nothing's so, getting made right now. Not across the country, all productions have s- ceased. We 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 are not making any more movies because movies take 100, 150, 200 people to gather together, and it, it's just ceased across the country. Um, you know, I I watched the Instagram with The Rock telling his crew. I like how it was The Rock that was the one, not he the producer, the but yeah. he made the announcement. He said, gather around, we're done for this. We're, we're, yeah. we're pulling the plug. Is he still paying um, their salaries? Probably not. No, none of them are still paying anybody's salaries. I mean, not, that's not true. They're they're giving some, <laughs> some of the movies, at least in Massachusetts, are giving um, their employees two weeks mm. of pay. That's nice. Which a lot of them are pushing two to four weeks, which is not... I don't think realistic. I think four weeks at the minimum, we're really looking at four to eight weeks before any production can start. Um, And it's not going to be up to the productions. The productions themselves are not going to make those decisions. It's going to be the states and it's going to be the laws regarding gatherings and what you can put together. I mean, I can only speak personally and I won't say what movie I'm working on, but the producers on the ground weren't going to call the call it. I mean, why should they? I mean, they were three days away, but it was corporate. You know, it was L.A. that called in and said, hey, we have to shut this down. Um, and I wonder then if this continues the way it is for multiple months, are we gonna, are we gonna have a vacuum of well, production or, be, or a vacuum of, of movies to watch, or they're just gonna well, spread them out in a better way? Well, there'll be so it's it's there's a number of factors there. One is movies are also getting delayed, so those will come out when these movies that are filming now maybe were going to come out. So, but the biggest thing is like yeah, even if there are, there's so much content now. Will we even notice? I mean. Well, if, that's another question to like, add to it. So I, I, I don't think we're gonna. I don't think <clears> it's <throat> gonna be a noticeable dip in available content and uh, movies in the theater or movies on on demand. I think when when all is back to to normal, for lack of a better word, uh, I think the films and content we have to watch is going to seem just as normal as well. I remember when 
Lee, you and I were in LA. I think you were in LA during this time, but the writer strike was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And there was a lot of workarounds. You know, if you had finished a, finished a screenplay before the writer strike had begun, you could work. You know, it wasn't. It didn't shut down productions across the board like this is doing. Um, yeah, but there's I, no workarounds. Here. There really isn't. And I remember trying to like. I mean, there was obviously a void immediately in television, but. Um, and I think there was it was felt more strongly on the TV side of things, but I don't remember there being a much of a void with movies, um, with the writer strike, and that lasted a while, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a few months. At least. Um, but I mean, I think it's inevitable, especially because, uh, you know, there's all this. It's it's on both sides, and like the you know the 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 difference between a movie and a and a, and TV these days is is so blurred. I mean, I think we will notice it. It'll be it'll go down from now. There's going to be a vacuum. You're absolutely right. I mean, I don't. I thought you know, but I mean, I'm worried. Like Jeremy, obviously, you. I obviously feel a lot of sympathy for you, but also, I mean, all a lot of the people I, all the guys I work with, you know, like I, I, I don't know if I don't even know if a lot of them can file unemployment because they they they're freelancers. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm. They should be able to. But even if they don't have like somebody to claim it against, like. Yeah. Well, as long as they can prove paychecks that they've made money, they can file for unemployment. I hope so. Yeah. All right. Anyway, enough of the Debbie Downer shit. <laughs> uh, what have you guys been watching? Anything interesting? Anything that jumps out? Killing of the Sacred Deer. I'm oh, you did? Almost done that. Almost done it. That's it. That's so speak- <laughs> I said enough of the Debbie Downer stuff. Well, the Formula One races got canceled, so I've been watching Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix. Top five time, guys. Top five musical performers. How did you guys do this? Well, it had to have been an actor, or it could have been a musician that played a musician in a movie. Okay. I left out actual musicians, people known more for being musicians. Yeah, I actually don't have any, but... Oh, no, no, that's not true. I do have one. I left out biopics. Um, oh, I did not do that either. Jeez, Lee, I also really narrowed it down. I also ha- they also they had to have multiple performances throughout the film, so it couldn't just be like they sang one song. Oh, wow, wow, that, that is pretty. Um, that you really narrowed it. I'm impressed. I've with got that. a lot of honorable mentions too, but some of those break my criteria. So, Chapin, yeah, why don't you kick us off? Okay, any other criteria that you had? No, um, no, uh. I didn't pick any musicals. That's for sure. Okay, I did. Well, okay. depend, I guess it depends how you define musical, but my number five is the dreaded Joaquin Phoenix in Walk, Walk the, the Line. Line. Johnny Cash. Um, I don't. I've heard people talk kind of 
negatively about his voice in that film. Um, but I don't really care. Like, I actually like the way he sounds. I don't think he sounds much like Johnny Cash. I like the way he sounds. And I love his performances. Like, he, so much of that character, you know, much in the, much in the same respect as Whiplash, you, you, you experience with him on stage, you know, it's like, it's painful for him and it's joyous for him and their relationship develops between those two. And I think. I think that's pretty incredible. I, I you know, I, I, I'm not, a, I'm not someone who can, you know, speak to, you know, someone's quality as a singer. Um, but I can speak to performance and the way it <laughs> adds to a movie. So yeah, that's my number five. Uh, I would have loved to put that on my list, but it's been so long since I've seen it. I just didn't feel like it was appropriate. <laughs> My my thing is now, if you were to ask me a like, if one of you guys were to ask me a question about it, I, I, I feel like I have to at least be able to answer the question. <laughs> yeah. So, it's been that long since I've seen that. All right, my number five is Ferdia Walsh Pilo, obviously, <laughs> from Sing Street. Is that the main character? He's the main. He's the main kid who starts a band to impress a girl. Uh, I love this movie. Um, it, uh, it, I think it's super underrated. It's one of those movies I always champion when I can. Um, it's, it's just good. one of those movies that I love putting on and enjoy. Uh, it's uh, John Carney, who also did Once. Which uh, is an honorable mention for me. <clears throat> so there you go. That's my number five. Yeah, I like that movie. Once is my favorite of his um that couldn't be included because it was uh, actual musicians playing the parts. But, um, yeah, I always think of Sing Street as like the, the musical version of About a Boy in a way, even though it's not but really better. the same story. Who's in that again? I don't know if it's better. Uh, the guy no, one, said. no one famous, <laughs> like uh, English Seth Rogen. Um, oh, it's this, and, is it the Once People again? Yes. Oh, okay. It's, no, no, no. Like, oh, it's the the directors aren't in it, but the directors okay. directed it. Gotcha. The, although it's Glenn Hansard movie. does look a little like an English uh, Seth Rogen, I guess. Okay. Um, uh, right. Rebuild the Jones. I, I do have a lot of uh, pairs, or at least a couple oh, pairs on my geez. list. Uh, my number five is Terrence Howard and Taraji P. Henson in Hustle and Flow. Uh, oh, nice, nice. That's, that's a movie great. it's been a long time since I saw. Sarah, I went back Sarah and, just came in to tell me that I meant to say Irish Seth Rogen. Sorry. Oh, okay. She just leaning out the door, making sure you don't make mistakes. She's a fact checker. God, I yeah. wish we all had that. <laughs> um, so I, I went back and I, I listened to a lot of the musical numbers of my top five just to kind of help me rank them. But also, it's been a long time since I heard uh, that compilation in Hustle and Flow with, with Taraji P. Henson and Terrence Howard. It's so good. Um, that movie's really good. Those Both of those performances were excellent. <clears throat> um, there's some... There's some actors in that movie that you'd never think would be good in a movie that really are. That dweeby kid from Road Trip is good in it. <laughs> DJ Qualls? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, anyway, that's my number five. Great. Okay. Um, God, I don't know who to quote. So, now that I'm um, looking at this, I don't think it counts, but it's... Uh, the uh, Soggy Bottom Boys from Oh Brother, Where Out That, but they don't really sing no, it. No, it counts. Huh? Well, they don't really sing it. 
No, no. Uh, well, Tim well, Blake dub, Nelson do they does. Dub it? No, I mean, I it doesn't matter so. if they dub their voice. I mean, that's okay. Matter. Great. It's the, then, perfor- it's yeah. the performance. I mean, I, according to trivia, Tim Blake Nelson is the one of them that does actually sing. Really? Okay. Um, yes. Maybe that means it's on your list. Um, I, I think the Coens have like a really uh, sort of unexplored relationship with music in their movies, especially you know, uh, Inside Lewin Davis, this film. They talk a lot about. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Leo. Sorry. Um, <laughs> they talk. Still haven't seen it. They, you know, they're they're very they're very musical in a way, and and I think you know you we think of Cohen so much as like writers and all their stuffs on the page, but you know they've got such great cinematography, they've got great great taste in music, and um, I hope I wish I hope one day we can do a uh, a retrospective on them. Um, of course, after the Nolan and Scorsese ones that are going to take us, but you know, now we've got time. So I was going to say, yes, maybe get get to work. (laughs) I think a retrospective is probably now's the time to do one. We'll live live broadcast uh, the watching of the retrospective. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my number four is Billy Crudup from almost famous. I can't do a musical movie without, uh, throwing almost famous on there. I think I know that where's Chapin going, Jeremy? He's up, up and dancing now. Yeah. Now we got him moving. I like it. Still water. All right. Um, my number four, since Chapin's are, this might be good because Chapin's already standing. I have a feeling he might just leave the room, but I think the performances, the musical performance in the, performances in this movie are fantastic nicole kidman and ewan mcgregor in moulin rouge i i don't uh, i don't mind that movie why would you say that i don't know it's a big time musical chapin but that's a Didn't musical where they they embrace the musical aspects instead of trying to like i don't know getting lost somewhere in the middle like la la land but it it, it has some magic to it and it's some fantastical elements to it I no, mean, what the, i like about I, that is the the prostitute element I mean, Nicole Kidman looks amazing in that movie. I'm not not breaking any news there. Um, but the Your Song scene, that performance with uh, Ewan McGregor is so good. Um, but yeah, that's my number four. I, I, I do think it's worth pointing out. A, a film like Moulin Rouge... It, it, you're right. It is magical. It's, I think, and it's, it's, it's not magic, so much magical. I mean, it is magical when you watch it, of course. And, but, but it's also just the creation of it. The film like that is just out of nothing, out of no, out of nowhere. It's such yeah. a creative thing to do, and and when it works, it's so magical the way it connects with people. I just think like most of the t- most of the time, musicals are just like yeah. I'm, and what I have like? to I have to admit it's a, it's disappointing that Baz Luhrmann hasn't really been able to capture that. I agree. Since I agree. Um, all right. Uh, this is gonna be a boring pick. Mine is uh, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper in A Star Is Born. Can't do it both. Just okay. Should I pick one? No, it's fine. I don't even care. Okay, it's, it's such a good list. It, it's just, All it's right. just that, like, okay, we'll let's just move on. Fuck you guys. All right, my number three. Right, everybody's yep. so mad. Wait, that was your number three, Chapin? Yes. Yeah. All right, my number three is Jamie Foxx in Ray. 
uh, a biopic it is, but I think his performance is great in that. I think it's one of my favorite of those performances. He does it again. That's so good. Okay. Offensive. Glad nobody else can see you. Um, I, I would agree. I think, I mean, I love Jamie Foxx. He, he's one of those guys who's just super talented at a lot of different things, comedy, acting, music and you know it's such a use he's such a he's like a swiss army knife for a movie like this yeah he's amazing all right my number three is anna kendrick and if you want to add all her uh ladies along with it in pitch perfect (gasps) what's the matter with you jeremy pitch perfect's a good movie never seen it fine but number three that's a good movie and she's really good at that and that's not a top five performance a a musical performance it's great i don't know what you're why you're uh, so down on pitch perfect i think that's a terrible pick well you're wrong you said jamie fox and maybe one of the worst biopics ever so it's not even not even his best performance that year he gave a great performance. Mm. Oh, who's going to be like in a vacuum? Jamie Foxx and Ray or Anna Kendrick in Pitch Perfect? I think it's a no brainer. Well, at least Anna Kendrick's was original. Racist. Uh, all right. Who's hey, up? Pen, you're up. Again? You lost him. Yep, yep, number two. Mine is Eminem in Eight Mile. Honorable mention I for me. Thought about it. Thought about it. Really good. And finally yeah. got to see him at the Oscars this year, singing oh, that Lose Yourself so for some fucking stupid. inexplicable reason. I enjoyed it. Well, everybody likes that song. Everybody enjoyed it, but what yeah. what was he doing there? doesn't matter. You, you just lose yourself in the moment. Yep. Uh, that's yeah, true. That's Good the point. song. Good point. Okay. All right, Jeremy, you're number two. Just never let it go, Lee. Uh, my number two is Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born. I thought you liked his performance. Where'd he go? God, that ceiling really needs repair. <laughs> I thought, Lee, I thought you were a fan of his performance in that. I thought you would loved him. Yeah. Okay. My number two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. please. All right. My number two is Oscar Isaac in Inside Lewin Davis, which Chapin referenced. I referenced oh, it, I but that, like that's it. Not, I didn't like ruin it for you. I know, but I got a little upset that it got mentioned because I was going to be like, oh, Inside Lewin Davis, Oscar Isaac, fairly well. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's great in that movie. Um, bit of an overrated movie. Doesn't oh, mean it's come bad. Come on, come it's on. Actually, it's, it's actually really good, but come on. that People think that's like the best Going Brothers movie. It has like a 95 on Metacritic. I guess little, I should see it. Little overrated. Moulin Rouge it is nominated for this picture. Is very good. All right. Number ones. Chapin? Moss and Kamala, the far side of the world. <laughs> really? Yeah. Music is really Just, important that, in that movie. That, I know, but they're not ones. musicians. They are. They are musicians. I, I wouldn't consider them musicians and it, But it was first. musician in a different time. They were... They were performers in a way that they that they sued themselves and, and 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 helped themselves. I'm writing it down. Does not count. Doesn't count. Doesn't. Okay. Count. I'm writing it on my notepad. That's official. Wants us on. What are you doing, what ep- Jeremy? What's episode- over here? What do you keep looking at what, over there? What episode is this? Uh, that- episode. Uh, Whiplash. Chapin's number one. Does not count. Official. Underlined it twice. Okay. Good for the record, Jeremy. You're number one. All right. <laughs> 
My number one, hopefully it counts, is uh, Glenn Hansard as Guy in Once. Yeah, it counts, but you have two John Carney movies on your list, which is a little, that's okay. A there cheap. wasn't a rule against it. That's true. This is so. your song. I mean, Actually, so I I love that scene when they get the recording studio and the and the guy doing he's like I'm here with a bunch of chumps I don't know they're gonna suck and then they're they're really good and he's like turning up the levels for him it's a great scene yeah man all right I've, we've Lee, totally lost Chapin my number one was stolen by both you motherfuckers Bradley Cooper and A Star Is Born all right so why would you not want him high on our list I didn't want him at all on your list I, we like uh, it when they're not there and we. We win, and the you list. can blow the minds of the others. All about that. Um, I, I, I got some honorable mentions. Go for it. Uh, Spinal Tap, but there was none. There was nobody that was like particularly right. great as a musician. Too Adam Sandler in Wedding Singer, I thought of. Okay. And then T- Tim Blake Nelson in Oh Brother Wetha. I got um, I got Tom Hulse in Amadeus. See, we all had singers. It was hard to find just like, but. What, is he, playing an what does he do? What, how do we, he plays the piano. There's a few bunch of scenes where he plays the piano. Um, you know, he is Mozart. <laughs> what did he ever do with music? Um, I did. I didn't feel like they had enough actual scenes at, uh, performing as musicians, but Mark Wahlberg and John C. Riley in Boogie Nights was an honorable mention for me. Um, also, John C. Riley. John C. Riley on drums, while Will Ferrell sings "Poor T. Valer" in Step Brothers, which is so funny. Yeah, but that's not technically. He's not technically a musician. No, and he only has that one scene when he sings, so it didn't yeah. make my list. But okay, Chapin, any? No, I don't know what Chapin's looking at, <clears throat> but we are ready to wrap things up. Okay. for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Felt like we ran a little long, but I think that's okay because people need things to listen to. They need us here. They need their movie recommendations. I think Whiplash is one. Uh, it's we're definitely think. worth watching, for sure. Yes. Um, and we're going to do our best to get as many episodes out for you guys, get as much content on the Instagram page for you guys with movie recommendations. Um during this time when we're all looking for some things to watch, um, yeah, like that, I said before, that's a great point, Lee. episode. I think it'd be great to get some recommendations. If you guys have something you, you know, you really want us to do, you watch something, you're interested in us watching something, you know, we got time now. So, um, yeah, send it our way. I mean, if there's a time of year to close movie theaters, it's certainly this time of year. It would be terrible if this was happening in the fall when the good movies are out. Yeah. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.